Wow. I'm oxygenated. Are you? Uh, fully. Did you breathe? Yes. Okay. Yeah, per your recommendation, I just did a session from uh, your favorite instructor, whose name I already forgot? George. 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 His name is George. George. On the Open app, uh, folks, if you are into uh, uh, wellness, mindfulness, uh, meditation, yoga, breathing, uh, Pilates, breathing. Breathwork. Uh, there's a really good app called, I, and I'm, this is not, they're not an advertiser, um, but it's a, it's a really good app called Open. You may have to search like Open Mindfulness or something like that, because if you just search Open in the uh, in the app store, it's a lot of three-way apps. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, honestly, and that's fine too, but, um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is a good one. There are breathwork exercises on them. George, who we should have on the podcast, uh, because he is he is family, is a, is a, a wonderful presence. Uh, yeah, just get involved with some breath work via Open. It, it, it's a, it's a life changer. Yeah, it's it's really invigorating, and I really like when he says, "I want to invite you to find an edge that's comfortable for you." There it is. That really that really landed with me. I was like, I would like to find an edge that's an edge, but it's also comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know exactly, exactly. That's how you expand. I'm nowhere close. I, I sure. mean, I, I I've stayed very far away from any edge my entire life. Well, but... listen, if you want to do some breathing and you want to do some edging, get on open. Uh, really, any of the open apps. Um, uh, Matt, it's been a couple of weeks, but I had first of all my first show back at the Troubadour a couple of weeks ago, and I say my show. <gasps> oh, I it was not my show. I was not performing, but for the first time in I guess a couple of years, I went to the Troubadour a couple of weeks ago. To see our former guest, Jake Wesley Rogers. Yes. How was it? It, Matt, when I tell you, I have never seen a more enthusiastic audience in in a couple decades of seeing shows at the Troubadour. Like, I I can't count how many shows I've been to there. Uh, Ben and I were in in the very back corner upstairs, kind of in a little crow's nest thing, so we could see the entire crowd. I have never, I've never seen a more ecstatic crowd in my entire life. It was so exciting and inspiring and he's he's just he's such an electrifying performer um i i would direct everyone if you haven't had the full jake wesley rogers experience certainly listen to our episode with him but also go to youtube uh and search for jake wesley rogers courthouse he did a a little a little show uh from a courthouse somewhere i guess in tennessee or missouri or something but it's it does like five tracks with his incredible band and you just get a sense for what a pop music savior he is um i'm such a fan just truly truly amazing and jensen mccray another great young singer songwriter opened a I, uh, I would recommend her music as well but yeah it was great it was good it was good to see just some high level you know, feathers and sequins queerness on on yes. on the stage. And like, you know, the kids were going bananas for it. The the people my age in Caftans were going bananas for it. <laughs> it was it was just truly inspiring and and awesome. And I truly believe he's got a chance to go really far. Like I, I really I think he's All gonna be way. massive. I really I, I think oh, he's yeah. got yeah, I think we're going to be Talk hearing about, about finding your edge. Talk about finding your edge that is comfortable he, for you. He, he's blown past his edge. Yeah. And, and a real highlight of that show. And, and this is something I can't believe we didn't bring up when Jake Wesley Rogers was here. Um, but my good friend Curtis Peoples co-wrote uh, a song for him called Jacob from the Bible, which we did talk about on the episode. I, I can't believe I didn't uh, put that together in my head. Uh, but I didn't. And it was 
that was he uh Jake opened with Middle of Love and then went right into Jacob from the Bible. And that is when people just completely combusted. And it was so exciting to to see like uh, a friend's co-write go over in such uh, a huge way. I was super proud of him and remain super proud of him. Curtis Peoples is how I know our guest today, Tommy Hobson, who is a uh, an actor, uh, as is Curtis. He is a, uh, an instructor at the Hot Room Spin uh, Studio in Toluca Lake Sweat Cycle. And he's an actor and a, and a super talent in his own right, who you have performed with, Matt. I have performed with, uh, like, so many uh, previous guests from the 30-minute musicals that uh, Tom DeTrinis uh-huh. uh, used to run with our friend Brooks again. And um, uh, uh, who else have we had on from Tom Link? Uh-huh. Um, and Tommy and I were in, I don't even remember which ones because we did so, there were so many iterations of them. I think we were Ghostbusters together at some point. Right. You know, uh, I, he's such a star. He, he even really is. when we were, even when we were like, uh, you know, doing probably a 30-minute Teen Witch in a, 50 seat theater for an audience of 10 uh it, it was so clear um and yeah and he's gone on to be like a like a big nickelodeon star he was on the show fresh beat band for a long time and now he's on the show that girl lele he has got a um he's the lead in a feature film called ghosts of the ozarks that i think is coming out next year david arquette and tim blake nelson and phil morris i mean come on and yet the lead tommy Hobson. He's uh, he's a star in the making, great energy, uh, a great instructor. He's everything that you want him to be in more. Yeah, I got to get to that class before he's he's too big a star to be teaching. Yeah, you better do it. And when you do, find an edge that feels comfortable and, uh, and, and you know, and maybe even go past it just a tiny bit. Ooh. Yeah. I'm going to try. Okay. You can do it. Uh, folks, enjoy. Tommy Hobson. Hello. So good to see you. It's good to see you guys too. It's it's good to see you outside of a hot room environment. That yes, 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 yes. Outside of a good old sweat cycle. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I'm kind of geeking out right now. So yeah, I told you guys I'm, I love this podcast. So I'm geeking out. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here with that, Tommy Hobson. So for for the listener, for the listener, uh, Tommy Hobson is someone who I met as uh, as as takers of a hot room spin class so it's like bikram yoga but you're but a spin class at the same time and you sweat so much it's uh alarming (laughs) and uh and then tommy hobson ascended to the role of instructor i did yeah is our classes happening right now is it classes are happening right now you gotta wear a shield or a mask uh and i think as of today or tomorrow you have to show proof of uh being fully vaccinated but yeah, we are we are doing it. Okay, I, uh, a shield is intriguing to me because I've been avoiding classes like that. Only I, yeah. I'm glad that masks are required, but I just can't physically manage really. But a shield, I could do. Yeah, a mask is rough, especially this class. A mask would be really, really difficult. Breathing is hard <laughs> enough. Um, so I took a long time. Off. Well, we all took a long time off, but uh, but I went uh, I went to a class there maybe a month ago. Was very much out of practice and really felt the year and a half <laughs> in between uh, sessions. Really kind of felt like, oh, I'm. I'm in a great deal of pain. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh it, I had to, I just took 2 weeks off and 
I have to teach yeah. tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, that's going to be rough because it mm. just, whenever you're away from it, you feel it, which is why I love it so much, uh, which is why my yeah. therapist told me even, she's like, no matter what's going on in your life, if you can keep teaching, I think it's great physically. I think it's great mentally. I think it's great spiritually for you. So once, mm -hmm. once she said that, I was like, great, I, I, I got to keep figuring out how to teach even with all the stuff. I get on. it. I was once uh, in a very crowded soul cycle class and, and was friendly with the instructor and was asked to ride at the front. And when I tell you, I, I've never experienced a high like that. It's great. I was like, if this weren't, uh, you know, a cult that is impossible to get into, I'd be signing up to be an instructor right now. <laughs> Are you, is there, are, is there sort of tribal beef between like your studio and the soul cycles and the, um, uh, Pelotons? not that, not that I'm aware of, but like, I am, I am such a, a, such a fan of sweat cycle. I actually kind of hated the idea of spin. Um, and so I've never actually been to soul cycle. I've, I've never actually really done any other kind of spin. Oh, wow. Um, so I have nothing to even compare it to. I just, friends took me to this and I liked it and I liked the people. Uh, not just the people teaching, but the people riding next to me. And I thought, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with this one. It is, um, the great equalizer because really, I mean, there are people, you uh, uh, are among them. There are people there who are in phenomenal shape, but after the class is over, everyone is, everybody's on the ropes. Everyone's, you know? everyone's a wet mess. Yeah. Everybody's kind of, you know, feeling the wall for stability. Everybody, you know, it's, it's. It, it makes me feel okay. Like if I, if I can do the same thing that you're doing, then I feel, I feel good. Like we've, we've all challenged yeah, and it's ourselves. A, it's a good feeling. And it's a really good, I think sometimes because she's taken out all the things that make it competitive. And it really is just about you showing up as you and being the best you, you can be that day. I think that it just creates a much more, um, a much warmer and a much more loving and uplifting sort of community where we're all just like it's amazing to me how we're all i never thought i'd be a person who was like yeah some of my best friends are from spin <laughs> but but it's yeah. true it's yeah. a community and the music is good i mean it depends on the instructor yeah, but the yeah. music is good i bet you put together a good mix a good a good playlist i i, I like to put together a mean mm -hmm. list the one class i guarantee teach every week is my sunday class downtown and we do a soul sundays which basically was my way of backdooring in uh you know like motown and soul classics because i goes like, i can't call the class the motown oldies class but if i call it soul soulful sundays uh you know so my parents come and you know every week my goal is just to kind of shock them with the song they don't expect okay and, i mean we have a we have a full-on party it's 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 one of those rare classes, even in a pandemic where there's usually 20 to 25 of us and we're just living our best Sign lives. us up, Dave. Yeah. We're going. We're Come going. on. Yeah. I, honestly, the clicking you're about to hear is me signing up for that class this Sunday <laughs> to sweat out a week. Oh, of course. I'm not there behavior. this oh, Sunday. Well, but damn it. All right. So next Sunday. Yeah. I got to. Yeah. I got to go to a film festival premiere thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, next Sunday. Set life uh what are you listening to right now oh my gosh uh what am i listening to see i should know all these questions mm -hmm. are coming um i'm i i just listened today to ed sheeran's new oh. album i was uh i had an in-person audition today and i got to be in the car by myself so i listened to that um because i loved the uh the first three singles um off the album i really really enjoyed i'm listening to i've been going back into things so like been doing a lot of Janet recently, Great. a lot of Whitney. I've been doing uh, Prince has been popping up 
Yeah. And then I guess because, you know, because I'm always making playlists for classes, it's always just trying to make me, because my music taste is so eclectic. I'm just always trying to make sure that I feel as excited about the playlist as everyone else. So you really will. You come to my class and it'll be, it'll be Michael, it'll be Janet, but it'll also be Ed Sheeran. It might be, uh, I just forgot every other um, non-Jackson <laughs> name that I know, but you know, we'll get some country in there. Exactly. Yeah. We'll get Love some it. country okay. in there and we'll get some, you know, some, uh, yeah, my, my grandmother is a hillbilly fan as she calls it. So I got some country in me. Is there a song that you've probably played the most in your classes? Yes. Um, <laughs> there's two actually they're probably tied for first uh one is the live version of i want to dance with somebody oh uh because i just the live version of that is just special and and then um i'm here uh which is a song i think off pink's maybe second to last album oh. uh that i really really enjoy um they're both great to end a class with because it gets that you know um and then I'm a guy who, Dave knows this, I'm a guy who sings along yeah. while you write. So that also happens while I'm teaching. Um, so it gets me, you know, when Whitney and I are trying to go at it, she's going to win, but it, it just, it just. Wow. Oh, but the, you, the people are getting a workout and a show. Yes. Yes. What is your era of Prince? You don't have to pick just one, but if you had to pick yeah, just one. Yeah, it's been all over the yeah. place. I've. I've been obsessed with, uh, I've been listening to um, everything from Diamonds and Pearls to um, Let's Get Crazy is going to go on tomorrow's okay. playlist. Uh, Seven um, popped up the other day and I went back to college. We were obsessed with that song in college for some reason. We used to just sing it all the time to each other. I uh, um, have never understood what Seven is about. <laughs> I mean, there's Seven no or something idea. and we're going to watch them fall. Um, they yeah. stand in the way stand of love. We, love. Love. we will smoke, smoke them, them all. all. We'll smoke them all with, with their, their intellect, intellect and, and their savoir faire. Savoir faire. No one in the whole universe could ever compare. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't understand what's happening in that song. Where we are, who he's talking to, what or who the seven are. It's also fun to get to a point where you listen to Prince lyrics, and I'm like, oh. I didn't understand most of what he was talking about yes. then. And now I'm understanding some things and I'm like, oh, yeah, I was just wandering around. You know, I also, when I was a kid, I got, I went to a private Christian school and uh, was obsessed with George Michael, naturally. Sure. And, um, you know, I got in trouble in fifth grade. I'll never forget. Mr. Rose told my mother on me because he said, spell some word. And I said, sex. Oh, boy. Because uh, I was obsessed. I just, you know, so I, I, I think I have a long history of listening to songs and not really. Yeah, like Lauren Hill did that to me, too. I went back to the miseducation of Lauren Hill a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, you had no idea what this album was yeah. about. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. like, and and the adults do like the Streisand effect around it. Like, they're the ones who tell you it's dirty. And why yeah. I remember like Sugar Walls and Shebop and all these songs in like the the mid 80s. I just I, I don't know. I don't know what I thought they were about, but it wasn't until Tipper Gore and the and the Parents Music Resource Center <laughs> um, did their Filthy 15 list. And those songs were on it. It was like, oh, well, now I love them. I mean, I still don't really. Oh, yeah. In the case of Sugar Walls, I still don't fully understand why that's dirty, but I wouldn't have even given it a second thought. If they hadn't drawn attention to it um, over this past weekend was Halloween. Yes. As you are aware, um, mm -hmm. my partner, Ben, and I uh, posted up out front 
with with some chairs and and a bowl of candy just to make it a little bit safer, right? You know, so the kids wouldn't have to even take a step in or whatever. We could whatever. So and for music, we put on that Kim Petras uh spooky album from last year, like Turn Off the Light or whatever it was, right? Um she made like a kind of a kind of a scary album, her last album. Yeah, there's like a skeleton and, on the cover or something. something. Yeah. 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 And it's and it's because it, it was like the perfect it was like, you know, sounds of the season and music we would listen to at the same time. And we hadn't really listened to it yet. So we were like, so we, and it, we just had it on in the background and like a mess of trick or treaters came up and we were like asking them about their costumes and giving them little Reese's cups and whatever. And it wasn't until they were gone that we realized the song that was playing was called Death by Sex. And um and and the chorus is literally something like sex, 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 <laughs> get dead by sex. Uh, and and like, it wasn't until all the old princesses and Thanoses were like out of the driveway that it was like, oh, we fully just accidentally corrupted a bunch of kids. Anyway. Yeah, there's no, 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 uh, oh, she pops awesome. subtext there. Just straight up sex, sex, Literally sex, sex, sex. get dead by sex. <laughs> nice way to go. It's though. not a terrible way to go. They should learn early. No. Miller Lite is the official drink of choice here at Homophilia. It simply is. And you know why? Because we're into keeping things uncomplicated. And since 1975, Miller Lite has been the beer with taste you can depend on. There's no games. There's no gimmicks. It is just a great beer for people who like beer. People like you. People like your friends. People like our beautiful listeners. So whether you're in person or not, you can count on Miller Lite to bring you and your friends together for Miller time. Miller Lite is great taste, 96 calories. Go to MillerLite.com forward slash homophilia to find delivery options near you. Or you know what? You can pick up some Miller Lite pretty much anywhere they sell beer. Either way, it's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. Well, ho, 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 gentlemen, the holidays have come early at Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Manscaped has just launched new products, including an all-new ultra-premium body wash, a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, and much more. It is time to give yourself, or someone who needs it, the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and, well, balls this holiday season. Go to manscaped.com, use code HOMOPHILIA for 20% off and free shipping, untrimmed pubes, Mm-mm. They're a thing of the past. Listen, they're terrific in 1970s porn, but ultimately, not great hygiene-wise. So it is time to leave your significant other or yourself some cookies and milk at the bottom of your chimney. That is that is a, a, a laborious metaphor there, but I am talking about the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Have you ever tried to um, tend... The garden downstairs, sometimes you can nick a sensitive area. I have done it. It's not cool. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you will find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. That is the electric trimmer that has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. It is also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. It is like a gift to your partner or yourself with less mess. Also, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 includes the Crop Preserver, and the Crop Reviver. That is an anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer, and toner. Have I given uh, myself a little spritz down at down in the South Pole earlier today? Yes, 
and my day is better for it. This hygiene bundle will also come with a pair of Manscaped anti-chafing boxers. It'll keep your downtown business district feeling clean and fresh all day. The perfect package for your perfect package. Also, Manscaped is going beyond the groin. With that ultra-premium body wash, it's infused with aloe vera and sea salt. Keep you feeling clean and nice and moisturized. Also, they have their two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, which has benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, strengthening your hair all at once. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, your, your partner, your friends, the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Get 20% off of it and free shipping with the code HOMOPHILIA at manscaped.com. Add it to your wish list. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOMOPHILIA at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code HOMOPHILIA. Clean up your nuts and make Santa proud. Whew, it's been a long, tough couple years, hasn't it? And that is why we deserve some rest, some relaxation, and above all, some comfort. I don't know about you all, but this season, I'm not prioritizing my family. I'm prioritizing my comfort. And who is more of an expert in comfort than Brooklinen? Nobody. Brooklinen was started to create beautiful, high-quality home essentials that don't cost an arm and a leg. I'm talking buttery, soft, breathable sheets, plush and absorbent towels, cozy robes, comfy loungewear you'll never want to take off once you put it on. Let me put it to you this way. I am engaged to someone who... As many of you know, likes the finer things in life, and he's a big Brooklinen fan. So I think that's the only endorsement that really matters. So give yourself the comfort refresh you deserve and get it for less at Brooklinen. Go to brooklinen.com and use promo code HOMOPHILIA to get $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That is B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Enter promo code HOMOPHILIA for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. Brooklinen.com, promo code HOMOPHILIA. Tommy, tell us, take us back to your childhood. You went to a Christian school. You were also acting as a kid, correct? I was, yes. So how much, I mean, you were working, you were, I think, on on a different world at some point. I mean, this was a legit child acting career. Yeah. So like the abridged version is that um, when I was about five and a half years old, um, I said to my parents, I was watching a TV show and the commercial came on and the kid kind of looked like me. And I said, I want to do that. And my parents, uh, who are wonderful human beings, but are not artists were like, what? But luckily for me, I had, my dad has, a, uh, my aunt was an actress on my dad's side. My mom's sister was also, um, uh, an actress. Uh, so we went to my, my dad's side cause she was a TV actress and talk to her, met with her agents and then signed with them. And then they say, you know, it'll be a little while. And then a couple months later, I booked um, my first commercial. And then a couple months after that, I booked my first guest spot on a TV show, which was 227, um, which, you know, is very exciting for me. Uh, I can't watch it because it's it's horrifying to watch because I have no idea what I'm doing. But But, but what what, what was was your character? Yeah, tell us. Uh, Yeah, I think it's in the final season and it's a Christmas episode. Mm, The Uh, the final Christmas episode. Yes, because I know Jack Hay was gone by this point. So I think it was the last season. Um, Yeah, so that happened. And then I just kind of kept... 
um, working. So my parents were really great because they were like, listen, this is kids have extracurriculars and this is yours. So, you know, your grades have to stay up and your behavior has to be, you know, good and do your chores and be nice to your siblings. And, um, you know, because remember, this is what you want. We would rather you wait for this. So, you know, if you want to do it, follow these rules. And, and I'm a rule follower. So I, I kind of overdid it with the following of the rules. But then uh, one of the agreements was that I would go to college. So I went to Yale and I was going to be pre-med uh, and I was pre-med for a year. And then I would, you know, call my parents in tears because I was like, I can't, I'm not going to be a doctor. I, I want to be an actor. And my parents were like, yeah, no one thought you were going to be a doctor. <laughs> um, we actually had bets on how long the charade was going to last. So, yeah. you know, great. You know, um, you told us who you were when you were five years old. So, no one's surprised by this. And then, uh, yeah, graduated with a degree in theater, came back home and had to pretty much start over again because the four years I was gone, everyone, all, my agents retired, like everyone I knew kind of disappeared. And I thought I was going to come back home and just pick up where I left off. And I had to come home and, you know, start over again. Uh, and yeah, and now, you know, did a Nickelodeon show, the Fresh Beat Band for a few years, and that was fun. And then now I'm on a new show, the, That Girl Lele on Nickelodeon where I'm a whole ass dad, which is hysterical. And, you know, it's, uh, it's been a, it's been a fun, it's been a chaotic journey, but it's been fun. Yeah. I want to go back to, to, uh, uh, pre-med. What was, what was that year? Like, did you feel like you were in a different sort of closet? Did you, were you really trying to sort of like walk the walk of, I'm going to be, a doctor? I, I was, I think that I, my, you know, sometimes when you're a kid, you miss, you misread things. And I misunderstood what my parents were saying. <laughs> like, I really did think, oh, this is just for fun. And now I've got to go be a grown up. And my parents were like, no, no, that wasn't what we were saying. We were saying was that like, we, we didn't want it to be so many kid actors. It is literally the way their families make money. And we wanted it to be fun for you uh, because dad has a great job. So we don't need this. So it was just meant to be fun. And then as an adult, if you wanted to do it, fine. But like college was still non-negotiable. So, um, yeah, but like for a year, I literally walked uphill uh, to Science Hill, um, you know, four days a week. And I, you know, did chemistry and did all the things. And I was miserable. Uh, and I um, had a dream one night. I did a play at the end of my freshman year. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Uh, and I was Linus. And... I had a dream and in the dream, I was kind of time hopping through my life and all of these moments I was seeing in the dream, I was happy and I was acting and I woke up and I was crying and I called my parents and I will say my <laughs> years later, when I did come out to my parents, I realized they thought that was the coming out conversation. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I said, I want to be an actor, they were like, that's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Else? We yeah. Do that. So, wow. Yeah. What was Yale drama like? Uh, it was wonderful. Um, it's I tell people all the time, Yale itself, I mean, it's been a while, but like when I was there, it was this weird place where it's like backwards day every day. So the jocks, no one cares about them. And all of the stars of the school are the artists. So if you are a singer, if you are an actor, if you are a painter, if you are whatever you're doing that's showing your art, 
you'd go to a football game and the stands would be empty. You'd come to an acapella concert that, that I'm in with my acapella group or a play I'm doing, and we're adding extra shows because we're sold out. Um, and so it was really just a wonderful place to get to try everything. And then the last two years I was there, I studied with the undergraduates and then worked with the graduate students. So I kind of got to live in both wow. worlds. Uh, and I think when it was time to graduate, I went to talk to the dean of the school and I said, hey, should I come to graduate school here? And he said, no, you stole our education. So just go and, you know, have fun. <laughs> and if in a couple of years you want to tune up, then fine, come back. But but you basically you know. got what you needed out of that already, yeah. which is great. Yeah. So which were you great. a whiff and poof? I was not a whiff and poof. And that is still, there are people who are still mad at me about that um, because, you know, acapella is such a huge thing at Yale that it's like rushing a frat. So we had this whole month of rushing and then they have a whole night where they run around campus picking who they want and they're competing over people. And it's a whole thing. And then the next day, people decided who the whiff and poofs would be four years later. And so my name was on that list of people who they expected to be a whiff and poof my senior year. But I, um, uh, it's so weird to talk about this because now I'm an adult and I'm like, geez, if I had known how much more complicated life would get. But at the time, the acapella singing was very time consuming and I really wanted to act more. So I stopped singing completely my junior year and then spent my senior year, uh, doing theater with the, with the, with the graduate school. Um, so I missed out on that world tour, but, uh, you know, it's okay. I think it was, it's what was best for me at the time. Yeah. And what a great experience you got. What yeah. were the, uh, what were the shows you were in? in college? Oh, um, that year I did, um, I did my senior thesis, uh, which was uh, Fool for Love, Sam oh, Shepard wow. um, show. I was a drunken cowboy. Uh -huh. um, we did um, Wild Party that year. Um, we did a show called Sueño that year. Uh, I did Jesus Christ Superstar, and I was Jesus, and I was like, this black nice. Jesus. As my mom said, I did R&B Jesus before John Legend did it. And I said, yeah, but it's fine. Thank you, mommy, for, for uh -huh. remembering that. She's right. Um, it's a trip. Yeah. And then um, I did uh, I did um, Bat Boy. Yeah. we Yale was one of those really crazy places where I know most schools, like there's like one or two shows you can do. But Yale has all these like stipends you can apply for and they'll give you money to put on a show. So I got to do a lot. Wow. So when you were a kid and you're going to a Christian school, how big a part of your life was that? How how big was religion in, in your family and your own brain? <laughs> um, you know, I think it was bigger in my brain um, than it was in my family. Like, I, I, I'm very lucky that my parents are still, you know, very religious people are still not going to church in person because of COVID, but they do watch it every Sunday and they're on boards and things. But one of the gifts my parents gave me, which I will eternally be grateful for, is that my, you know, they kind of, I was always a kid with a lot of questions. And just because wasn't an answer for me that I could take in. I needed like answers. And so I would get not in trouble, but side-eyed a lot at Christian school for asking like where God came from and all kinds of things. And they say, well, he always was, and he always will be. And I'd be like, that's not really an answer. You can say, I don't know, 
but I'm honestly asking you because I, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on in my life. Even, even at that age, I was trying to figure a lot of things out about myself. And I was just trying to ask questions. But my mom set me down one day, probably anticipating future conversations, but she set me down and she said, you know, the Bible is a game of telephone. Uh, so, you know how, like, we play telephone with your cousins and, like, we pass it down. And by the time it gets to the end, it's different. And I was like, yeah. She goes, well, that's the Bible, honey. Like, it is divinely inspired, but it has been translated and retranslated and manipulated by men across time to further their own ends. And so, you know, you have to use it as a blueprint, but it's not always right. Uh, and so that's kind of how I've taken religion since then. Because in those years, I was very, I mean, I was every Thursday... We had chapel and I'd be like on my knees crying, giving my life to God again because the feelings I was having that I had an understanding weren't okay feelings were still there. So maybe if I gave my life to him one more time, they'll go away. You know, all of those, all of those things. And so I kind of had to, uh, as I told my parents when I did come out to them, like the journey for me was reconciling those things, remembering all of the things my parents taught me. And putting them into the context of, oh, you were trying to give me these little, little, tiny little nuggets to hold on to. And those are good uh, nuggets, by the way. Your mom, the telephone great. game metaphor uh, is uh, well said. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No wonder you are the picture of emotional and physical health as an adult. Uh, what <laughs> it's, it does strike me, though, that like that, that whole the, the idea of like, you know, weeping in church and giving your life and whatever, there is an element of performance to that. Like there's some pageantry yes. to what What was the denomination? Um, I don't think that one had a denomination. Oh, okay. It was just, you know, uh, but I, I will tell you, I got my the church I grew up going to was African, African Methodist Episcopal. Uh -huh. That's where my granny was uh, on the board there. And I remember I won a scholarship from the church and I had to go to every service that day. And that was the day like 17 year old me was like, oh, this is just theater yeah. <laughs> because everything happened the exact same way at every single service. The same old lady caught the Holy Ghost at the same exact moment. Everything swelled in the same ways. Everything moved in the same ways. And I was like, oh, OK. All right, cool. This is just theater. Yeah. Great. But you spent a lot of your adolescence. Uh it sounds like kind of trying to pray the gay away, but what was yeah. the breaking point for you? Um, God, so it, it seems, um, the breaking point was I was in college and, um, I had this thought, uh, I said to myself, well, since I was five years old, I've known that I wanted to entertain people for a living and I wanted to be an actor. I didn't know what loving someone in that way meant. And so maybe the answer is simple. I'll just be alone forever. If, if the universe, if God will give me the career I've always wanted, because I have no examples of anyone who looks like me, who is like me, who's doing the things I want to do. And so if I can just be happy with my friends and my family, I'll be okay. And uh, then my senior year of college, on top of all the other things I missed out on, uh, you know, by not being away from poof, with all the goodness, the goodness was that I also had got my first boyfriend um, who was a graduate student. And um, that didn't last, you know, but 
we got through the year. And at the end of the year, I was like, well, what I know now from this is I, a life without love in it isn't an option for me. And so we're just going to have to figure it out. And if there's not someone I can look at, then I just have to do it and then become someone that other people can look at. Right. How did it go down with that first boyfriend? Like how, how did you both know that it was on? Oh, uh, you know, it's funny. I'd met him. My, I went to a conservatory here in LA on the weekends and our final show, he had come to see that show with the guy who'd graduated years before. And, and, you know, I met him. I was crying, being all dramatic. It's my senior show. I didn't remember meeting him. Years later, I bumped into him on the streets of New Haven uh, with that same friend and introduced myself. And he was heartbroken that I did not remember him. But I was like, again, you were a stranger. Uh, and it was a very emotional day for me. And then that was at the end of my junior year. And at the top of my senior year, we ran into each other at a barbecue. And we just started like chatting. And then I was like, holy crap, I'm flirting. And then I was like, oh, this is great because you are in a different part of this school than the rest of my friends. And so while I'm figuring this out with you, I'm removed from these, these other people. So I just kind of disappeared my senior year and only hung out with graduate students. And they knew me as half of this couple. And my undergraduate friends were kind of like, what happened to Tommy? Um, and then about six months in, I started to slowly like come out uh, to people. It's just one of those things. I don't know if this happened to either of you, but like everyone was waiting for it and they were very impatient about it. Um, and the more that people were in my face about it, the more that I started to like retreat and run from it. Cause I was just like, you got, you, it has to be mine. <laughs> like, I'm like, I like, this is, yeah. um, this is not easy and it's even harder to do because you're asking me in a negative way if I'm gay. And now I don't want you to have the satisfaction of the answer being yes. And I've got to work that out on my own. And and then of course, you know, came all the way back around to the point where I was like, actually, this is fine and you suck and I don't care. Right. Right. But yeah, I mean, my, my parents always say that I am, uh, I'm the oldest and I've always been an overachiever. And my mom says, she said, the thing that I kept wanting to drive home for you was that I think that you saw it as an imperfection uh, and and that it, you know, it wasn't. Um, and it, it just took me a little longer because I, because I was a person who like, I acted and I was straight A student. I go to an Ivy League school. I do all these things. And I was like, people are waiting for a crack in the foundation. They're waiting for the castle to crumble. And, you know, when, when I came out, I think yeah. those people who were waiting were really upset because life just moved on. Um, it didn't cause any real hiccups. It just like, even yeah. my grandfather was like, okay. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. And so then you came to LA uh, only maybe a year after coming out? Uh, yeah. You know, actually when I got back from college, I still wasn't out to my family, but I was out to all of my friends. So when I got back, from college, I just kind of, you know, my parents live out in Uplands about an hour east of LA. And so I was out there at their house and I'd come into LA for auditions and to live a gay old time with my friends. And, you know, there were those few times when I was like, you know, drunkenly stumbling through WeHo and my aunt would call and be like, did I just see you 
on Santa Monica Boulevard, and I'd be <laughs> like, "Yes, my my um my friend had a, a birthday dinner, and I was there, you know." Uh, and then eventually, um, my coming out actually, I met my now my still partner, and then kind of you know came out because I was like, "Well, I have a partner, and I guess I should tell you all that's what's going on." So. Yeah. Would you do you remember a moment you 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 talked about? Uh, feeling like uh, being gay was a flaw mm. and and that was difficult to overcome. Do you remember a moment when you, like, was it a specific moment when you got over that or was that like a, a long process? Um, I don't remember a specific moment, uh, but I do think that I asked the, you, you know, I was putting out into the universe kind of what I thought I needed to become the person I wanted to be. And, and that person was a person who was comfortable and confident in his sexuality and his space in this world. And, um, you know, when I, when I met my partner, Wilkie, he, he's four years older than me and had already been through all of those steps and they were much more traumatic for him than they were for me. But, you know, he was kind of just like, you just have to do it. And you just have to know that you'll be okay. Um, and so when I did come out to my parents, you know, they were kind of hurt because it took so long. But I said, I just kind of, two things needed to happen. One, if you weren't okay with it, I had to be so firmly grounded in myself that I would be okay. And two, your first concern is always going to be my well-being. And so I wanted my coming out to not be something tragic. I wanted it to be something happy where you could just see that, like, look, I'm okay. And if your concern is if I'm okay, then I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to be fine. Life's going to be going to be really good. And I do, I, we joke about it all the time, but like my dad quotes Will and Grace all the time. And I know people have a love-hate relationship with that show, but I do think that it showed a lot of parents, my parents included, a different version of gay life that so much of gayness in cinema and television was dark and dangerous and scary and and sad and and that was like oh look it he'll be fine you know as weird yeah. as it is to so. yeah but it this also coincides with you kind of like you know being in your 20s and coming back to la and sort of restarting your career and i i'm older than you but i know with that time for me and trying to act it was there it wasn't even that long ago, but it was such a different time in terms of being out, yes. um, especially for someone like you who can be a quote unquote traditional yeah. leading man. Um, so how did that all go for you? Um, you know, I my manager at the time, um, really, really wonderful man. He's he's since passed on, but he. He was kind of like, listen, I've been in this business forever. Things are changing, but they're still not there yet. I don't care that you're gay, um, you know, but, you know, and he like loved my partner and, you know, would introduce me to people as this is his partner. Um, but it really wasn't until I did uh, the Fresh Beat Band for Nickelodeon that I ever really had to like be confronted with what do I, what do, I do with this information? Um, and we had a media training day and then they broke us into individual little pods and they say, is there anything we should know about you? You know, like anything, any scandals in your past, anything you think, like we just need to be prepared for it. And I said, well, I am a good kid. 
I have never even had a detention, but, um, you know, I'm gay and I, you know, I have a partner and, you know, and, uh, and their response to that was, um, she said, well, how gay are you? And I oh, was like, I don't know what that means. And I said, I mean, I said, oh, no, 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 no. I just mean like, we have people on the network who are gay and they all have different levels of involvement they want to have in the community. So we have everything from it's my business, leave me alone to, you know, I'd love to be an out magazine and be the grand marshal of a pride parade. So where are you, you know, on that scale? And I said, well, I think right now I'm still trying to get my footing in the world. So I'm just at the point of like, I'll never say no. Um, but maybe it's no one's business right now. But I had a friend in college who told me one day that I would be confronted with whether or not to make it part of my story. And he said, I think that what's important is to realize that especially as a black person, you could save lives by being openly yourself. And with that first Nickelodeon job, you know, it was a musical kid show. I called it Glee with no sex, basically what it was. We were just running around singing songs and having a good time. And I met a lot of kids. We did concerts across America. We were the number one family concert in America for four straight years. And we did 60 episodes of the show and 20 episodes of a cartoon and being out in the world and seeing these kids in real life. I was like, okay, like I get it now. They're going to, whether they're gay or not, they're going to need someone like me to be as open and as honest as I can be. And it's been really uh, great the last couple of years because those kids are now getting to be teenagers and some of them are even in their early twenties and they're, they're finding me and they're letting me know, um, in very, you know, respectful ways that, you know, when they were sort of figuring themselves out, it clicked in their brains. Like, Oh, that's why that guy was my favorite character on that show. I wonder what he's up to now. Oh my God, look at him living, you know? So that was really when it switched from I'm out, but it's my business to I'm out. And it's important that it's part of my narrative. Yeah. At that time, how, comfy did you get the sense that Nickelodeon was uh, like how 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 far up the scale would they have been comfy with you you know in, in, as, in as a their face? defense I I think it was an honest question and whatever my answer was they no, would yeah. have gone with it they they never once okay. you know asked me to mute myself in any way shape or form um even now you know I'm back there now and and I was talking to the creator of the show and I was saying like it's so cool to me you know, you're a cisgendered, heterosexual black male, and you wrote a character that's basically you, and you hired me not knowing my story, but then when you found out my story, it's never come up, it's never been a concern. The press we've done for the show, it's been mentioned in a lot of the interviews and stuff, because people are really intrigued. They're like, in a world where people only talk about, you know, straight guys taking gay guys' roles, here you are, and so much of my career has been being straight, and but also I'm just being myself and no one says anything, which is really lovely. Cause when I was doing the Fresh Beat Band, I was still young. I was in my, you know, mid to late twenties. And so I was overanalyzing everything. I was like, are my hands doing too much or my, and now I'm almost 40 and I'm like, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That is the best part of getting older. Um, Tell us about uh, Ghosts of the Ozarks. This is—I know you Ooh. filmed this feature early in the pandemic. It's your first uh, yes. lead in a movie. David Arquette, Tim Blake Nelson. Obviously, very different from the Nickelodeon shows. Yeah, um, it's man. 
It's it's so great. That journey has been crazy. We we just premiered world premiered at the Austin Film Festival. We had a sold out. We did two screenings, and I mean, the first one we premiered against one of the biggest commercial movies of the festival, and we still had about a 65-70% full audience and then our second screening was sold out and it's been a real journey. All I've ever wanted in my career is a moment where I can show people the full range of what I can do and I feel like with that girl Lele and Ghost of the Ozarks in the world at the same time probably at the top of 2022 people will see that. And that said, 5 years ago we made a short film for I think they spent $300 on it. And then it turned into this million dollar feature film uh, that we filmed. We were the second movie to get a green light to go into production from SAG uh, in June of 2020. I had been quarantined at my parents' house uh, for three months, thought I was going for a week and never came back to my own house. Uh, And then I left to get on a plane and enter that bubble. And... It was crazy. My very first day of filming, I had like a seven page monologue with Tim Blake Nelson and I just wanted to um, just explode out of my own body. But um, I finished the take first take and he put his hand on my shoulder and nodded. And I realized that that was a Tim Blake stamp of approval and um, kind of relaxed after that. But yeah, it's, it's a fun it's a fun movie. It's a it's a bit it's like a historical uh, it's a period piece with like horror elements and you know, uh, there's a, there's some good racial talks in there because the two leads in the movie are black men, Phil Morris, who plays my uncle and then myself, you know, and then, you know, Tara Perry, she co-wrote it and is one of the leads in it as well. And I'm really excited. I just got to actually, yesterday I got an email from my rep saying that, you know, they want to know if I'm free in January to like do press. And I was like, wait, it's, we're doing this is, yeah. So this is, it's, it's really exciting. And and I, I will say the pandemic for all of its awfulness, um, from a career standpoint, I have, I have really not, I've not stopped moving since June of 2020. So it's been great. And I can't wait for people to see this movie because I, I was really broken when I got there. Um, the pandemic, my anxiety was not doing well. And, you know, I was like, gotta have a mortgage and all the jobs are gone. And, you know, um, also, there was a period where, like, I went from being attached to the movie to being not attached to the movie, which happened a couple of weeks into the pandemic. And so it was just a lot of things. And then it came back. And uh, I think it came back for me in a space where, like, I really the character is very broken when you meet him. I was broken when we started. And then two months later, you know, I was like, OK. OK, so. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's a long answer, but I'm super freaking excited. No, no, we can't wait. We can't. And at the same time, you will have a Nickelodeon sitcom. I'll have a Nickelodeon sitcom, and the Nickelodeon sitcom came after you know that. Uh, So I, it's just it's 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 it's. I was telling this one. I feel like this business, (laughs) uh, and I say this with all respect. I feel like it's it feels like like battered wife syndrome sometimes. You know, like you hit your head against the same wall so many times and every single time you hope it's going to be different, you know? And I, and so people are like, you don't seem excited enough. And I'm like, listen, I'm super, I'm geeked out. My therapist and I talk about it all the time. I'm trying to balance out the excitement I feel with my past, which tells me that like, this could be the moment, 
It also could not be again the moment. Um, yeah, I, I, there's also the idea that if you are if you're going to ride the all of the highs, then that means you're going to ride yes. the lows, which is fair if you want to do that. But if you just want to sort of stay even, regardless of the ebbs and flows of it, then yeah, you might not be like jumping up and down, you know, all the time when something like this happens. But we're all jumping up and down for you. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 So um, we're actually, I'm actually leaving, what's today? Tuesday. So Friday, I'm going to Utah for another premiere screening uh, that it's doing. Um, My brother is there doing his residency. Um, So my mom was like, my mom and dad were like, we should all go. Oh, a family trip. And then we'll see the movie in a theater. And, you know, so that'll be, that'll be fun. I think it's already, no matter what happens from here on out, it's already been more than I allowed myself to hope that it could be. And I'm not a person who likes to watch myself perform. Um, and now I've seen the movie five times and I'm, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. Uh, I think that it's one of those things where like for better or for worse, what I wanted to do with the role happened. That's fantastic. Um, and I got to do it with some pretty kick-ass people, you know, like you just get to hang out with Tim Blake Nelson and just watch that mind work. Uh, and then Phil Morris, who plays my uncle in the movie has just become like my real life my real life mentor and friend. He's just a really sweet, kind, wonderful human. And I told him what's unique about him, especially in this business is I knew from the second we met that he was just as invested in me winning as he was in him winning. And I told him he's shown me the kind of, sorry, he's shown me the kind of actor and the kind of like figurehead on a set that I want to be. Yeah. I want people to feel like, when we're in a scene together that like I'm rooting for you and we're in this together and you're going to be great and I've got you. Uh, and he did that yeah. for me from the second he walked on set, he was like, nephew, come here. Nice to meet oh, you. Let's yes. run these lines. And do you, do you feel like you're in that position on this Nickelodeon show? Because I mean, you know, it is you and a lot of younger performers yeah, I will say not only am I in that position on the show, they are very, it's the first time in my career where people are, they are really letting me know, you know, I feel like oftentimes as artists, we're like hoping someone says like even a thumbs up, you know, uh, any kind of validation. But from day one, they have just been like, you are, you know, you're a Nickelodeon legacy. You are a leader on this set. These kids look up to you. We're lucky to have you thank you for your time. And I'm like, y'all, I actually don't know what to do with this because this is the opposite of how things usually go. So I don't know how, what to do with all this validation. I just know that for me, it makes me just want to keep earning it. Um, and you know, I, I tell people all the time, I jokingly, I, I call them my children and it's become weird. Uh, cause I'll be like, Oh, my son. And people are like, huh? I'm like, and then we'll keep be like his TV son. And I'm like, yeah, no, sorry, not my real yeah. son. Um, but, you know, I love those kids. The woman playing my wife, Tiffany Daniels, we've been friends for 14 years. So if you're ever looking to have chemistry with someone, especially in a pandemic where you're not even really allowed to be around each other, uh, I'd say let one of your best friends magically get hired as your wife. We didn't even know until our screen tests. And there were, I think, three men and three women. And we were just being mixed and matched on Zoom and uh, for like three wow. hours. And then my last matching was her. And we flipped out and 
they had to actually refocus us. They were like, uh, Thomas, Tiffany, could you, could you guys hide? Are you guys okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I love her. She's one of my favorite people. I've been calling her my work wife for 14 years. And, and this would be so crazy if we actually got to do this together. And here we are. Tommy Hobson. Thank you. I, I will, I will see you in a hot room next. <laughs> yes. I'm going to find your schedule. Matt, we're doing yes, it. Yes, we're going, we're coming Soul to Sunday your Sunday not, class. We're doing it. Yeah, come yeah. on. It's uh, it's fun. Like I said, my therapist was like, I'm glad you got this show. I'm glad about the movie. What about the teaching? And I said, well, I don't know if I'll have time. And she said, I think we should make time. I think that it is something that is just energizing and rejuvenating. And it is a place where you can release all right. Well, it's 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 settled. If you're in Los Angeles, get to Sweat Cycle. We will see you there for the Tommy Hobson experience. Tommy, thank you. Thanks for having me. Homophilia is a World of Wonder production, produced and edited by Kate Moldenhauer. Special thanks to Randy Barbato, Fenton Bailey, Stephen Sims, Edward Bochniak, and the whole team at World of Wonder. We love you. And theme music. By my Ben Wise. Yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HomophiliaPod. You can give us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thank you for listening. We love you. Mm.